Do you enjoy the content that we provide at Hockey Hurts? Do you do any holiday shopping on Amazon.com? Then click on the Amazon banners on our Hockey Hurts website before making any of your Amazon purchases. We get a kickback, you get to buy something that you like, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. It's like the Patrick Hornquist, James Neal trade. It's a win-win. Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hurts. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh at Walshy66 and Ryan Wilson at Gunner Stahl. to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for December 14th of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And mumps is the word around the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sidney Crosby <laughs> is, well, I guess he's not the latest one to get mumps because Derek Broussard of the New York Rangers, they just came out and said he has it as well. But mumps making its way around the league still. Uh, Crosby missed Friday and Saturday's contests and it looks like he'll be missing Monday as well. We'll also touch on some hits that we thought were questionable, um, specifically with Simone Dupre. We'll talk about uh, Penguin's acquisition over the offseason that's panned out quite well. Uh, we'll talk a little Chris Letang and, and we'll probably get through a few other topics as we go along, but we'll, um, we'll start with Sid. And, um, yeah, <laughs> the Penguins didn't handle this terrifically. I mean, anybody even without a doctor's degree knew he had mumps on Friday when you saw the video of his interviews. Well, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter dog, do you mean? So, it's, did you see the, the article, I think it was by Seth, Ron Bohr about Penguins lacking credibility? I can't remember who it was that, that wrote Yeah, that, right? you're correct. Yeah, I think you sit down and you think about it. The, the, it's not the medical staff that are lacking credibility. It's the way they're delivering their message that lacks credibility. It's almost like um, because they've had such a bad run with injuries, they don't want to let out that they've got any. And so when it comes out that they do, because they've technically for quite unquote been lying or covering up, um, they just look like idiots. Just come out and say what someone's got, you know? I mean, it's pretty hard to deny that Crosby had some mump-like symptoms. They could have at least just said, look, he's got symptoms. We think he might have it. He might not. We're going to run some tests. Just make it simple. Yeah, I don't understand what they gain from not being forthcoming with this and a lot of the other things they've done. Um, not, you know you start leaving people in the dark and they try to fill in the blanks by themselves and then you get rumors I mean, they, started. They, and... they run away with that narrative word that neither of us particularly like. <laughs> yeah, so. But I've, um... I've, I've had this complaint for a while. And it's, a, it's a self-serving one in that I actually think that teams should have to declare what the injuries are 
when they get them if they go on injury reserve. They go on IR, they need to get there and say, this person is out for this injury, and this is how long they need to be out for. Now, your argument against that's a really valid one. Player comes back from those injuries, teams will obviously will think about targeting those areas, so I can appreciate that aspect of it. But they the, like, They have. Yeah, oh, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's a perfectly fine argument. I, I get there and go, oh, yeah, it's probably fair enough. But it just I get there with one of those things, and if something like that happened, then there comes a point in time when someone goes on IR, everything gets cleared up. But I think your argument overrides mine, <laughs> in a sense. So you can understand why, why teams try to cover it up. But it's almost like they have no system in place for anything that they do, Pittsburgh. They're a pretty well-run organisation, but when it comes to communicating things that aren't particularly positive about the organisation, they're terrible, absolutely terrible. And, you know, like the Malkin in the preseason, not skating, not anything, there was never really... You know, not much given for that. No, it's really funny. I mean, a lot of people look at the Detroit Red Wings as a model organization in regards to, to how the on-ice stuff's run, the development of their minor league team and how they develop players and stuff. They just come out and say what someone's got as an injury. They did that with Datsuk. Yep. They've done that with everyone that they've had for injuries. Um, I'm planning a piece at the moment on shoulder injuries in the NHL because there are a stack of them at the moment. And um, and they've just come out and said, yeah, yeah, we've got all these shoulder injuries to these players. Didn't care that one of them was Datsuk at the start of the year. They've just gone, yep, that's the injury. That's what he's got. This is the expected time frame. Bang. It, it seems sometimes that keeping it simple is often the best option. No argument here. No. So it's one of those things where, you know, Sid's come out with the mumps, Larson's for New Jersey's, got the mumps as well, so Pittsburgh played against them. Um, now, did you say Tanner Glass had the mumps as well at some stage? Uh, he did. He did. Yeah, okay, so Pittsburgh have played New York in that time, so you get there and go, who gave it to who there? Um, and now Brassard's got it, so you get there with it and it's just like, you can't pin the blame on any one team or any one team's medical staff. It's going to go through the league until it spits out the other end. So this might go on until, well, let's hope just the end of the regular season and no one's got the mumps when they're trying to play playoffs because that would suck. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, infectious diseases will eventually run their way through. We've got medication to help with that, so it'll eventually get there. But hopefully it won't affect anyone's playoffs. Yeah, that that really would be a shame. I hope that it doesn't come down to that. This is such a strange kind of thing and something i was reading today is a a lot of these guys are olympians and they all had the same vaccination done or booster shot yeah from from the same batch perhaps maybe that wasn't uh not a good batch well it's, it's one of those things where sometimes um when you do get booster shots, and admittedly the booster shots were done for the Olympics, so it was a while ago now, sometimes the body doesn't react well to the booster shots and stuff like that. So we may even see some players who take the booster shot now end up getting it because it can cause a relapse in the infection that you're trying to avoid. So, look, there's no clear way for them to fix this. Um, as you, you said to me a couple of days ago, 
it's not like uh, hockey arenas are the highest place of hygiene. So uh, it's very easy for something that's contagious to get passed on from one club to the next, to the next, to the next. So they could sterilise every NHL rink and in every NHL um, training facility, but you're still going to catch it because someone's might have caught it off someone's kid and that's how it got into the league system. So, you know, you've got NHL and AHL that they're trying to, that players get in contact with. So it doesn't, it's such a wide net to try and look at. I, I don't know how you can sit there and sort of blame any one club that this has happened. And from what I gather, it can be contagious before symptoms start to show. That's the problem. It, it, you can't, once someone's got the, the big glands, well, someone else has already got it because you were contagious before you got the symptoms. So how do you stop it? It's like when you, your kid gets a cold in primary school or kindergarten. It's too late. Mm-hmm. Strange. It's What's too bad because the Pens need Sid. Their forward depth is not terrific right now. No, well, we got to see that uh, in the overtime loss against Columbus yesterday. So that was um, that was like watching the Edmonton. I now get why the Edmonton Oilers fans get so frustrated. Yeah, because you couple of star players out there and they do stuff and it just all falls apart because the other players around them um, just aren't up to, to handling what they do. So I don't know how Joe doesn't go nuts, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so many times where he did things with certain players out on the ice and they're serviceable players. They're just playing out of the depth. Yeah, and that's it's, not a good situation. No. So hopefully that gets rectified soon. Um, moving along, um, Simone Dupre, Friday night, he hit Ladislav Smeed and um, up high, launched himself, coiled, exploded into him. Um, and the assumption, at least for me, is that he has a concussion. Well, he's out now. It's funny, all those words you used then, did you deliberately use all those keywords because they're the keywords that have been used by the department before when suspending players with these sort of hits or what? It's what happened. <laughs> it describes no, what no, happened, you know. I fully agree. Everything you said then is exactly what, what I thought. I wrote a piece on that before the game had finished. Um, you can make an argument that the um, – very first point of contact was the top of the C on the jersey, but 90% of that contact, if that's the way you want to look at it, was the chin and the head of Schmeid. And he had one intent and one intent only, and that was to absolutely destroy him. Should have been interference penalty. He had no intent at all on going for that puck. Well, um, the puck was there, though. Oh, no, no, the puck was there, but he made no attempt to play it whatsoever. You can do that, but if you're going to blow somebody up, you had better focus on the chest area or lower to, to not drive up high like Dupre did. I mean, he, He's be clean. he exploded, coiled, and leaped, literally leaped up to make the hit. And um, he put himself in that gray area, and I, I didn't like the hit. I, I'm fine with big hits. They just can't. With the information we have now about head injuries and concussions and lawsuits and all that nice stuff, I just don't <laughs> think there's a need 
to launch yourself like that anymore. Um, you could, like you said, avoid the situation altogether if you tactically play physical and use it as a means of separating the guy from the puck so that you can gain puck possession. But that wasn't Dupre's intent on this specific play. No, I mean, you have a look at what Malkin did to McDonough uh, a couple of weeks ago against the Rangers. Girardi? That was massive. Was it Girardi? It was Girardi, sorry. Um, that was amazing what he did there. And he had every intent of getting the puck. Like, that was the difference between the attitude of what Desprey did and what Malkin did. And Malcolm got the puck. Malcolm retrieved the puck after making that hit. So, um, because his attitude was, let's get the puck, and not the intent of absolutely destroying uh, Girardi, totally two different results in that hit. I mean, you know, the Penguins have been a, a great case study for legal slash illegal hits this year. There have been some brilliant clean hits and there have been some terrible suspendable hits um, in, all, in a lot of their games this year. So um, Penguins fans should be a good case for, look, something's got to be done here. I mean, even in the last game against um, Columbus, there was the – was it Prout that ran um, Farnham, like in the first – two minutes of the game or whatever it was that started the garbage. Um, that was clean. Got him got him in the crest, and Farnham's tiny. Mm-hmm. But he still, he still managed to make sure, and it was a big hit, don't get me wrong, but he still managed to get him clean. So you can't you can't argue that. That's a great clean hit. It's like the um, like the Fanouf hit on, um, was it Hornquist that Fanouf collected? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a clean hit as well, and that was a big open ice hit. So it can still be done legally; it can still happen. So yeah, and it's I like those like, hits. Uh, I just don't like yeah. them near the head anymore. And and the league's got a, the play, people that want to watch 1990s hockey and, and earlier. It's not going to happen anymore. The league financially can't afford it with these lawsuits. So you know that's where I stand on on the hits like the one Dupre made. Um, I thought he was going to get fined or perhaps suspended because of the injury, but it appears, um, you know, the league disagrees with my perception of the play, but that happens a lot with these suspension things, doesn't it? That goes, that goes against everything that they've done all year, though. Um, a player does Even by their standard. With, yeah, a player comes away with an injury, someone at least cops a fine. So once again, there's that consistency message that's not getting across. There's no consistency in it whatsoever. So that's the thing that, that's baffling. You just don't know what's right, what's wrong. And until they can manage to to clarify that, um, fans are going to get frustrated with it and the players are, are playing Russian roulette. But they're still not getting suspended for long enough that it makes a difference to them anyway. No, they're still going to take the chance that the guy doesn't get hurt. Because if yeah. he doesn't get hurt, Chances are they don't get suspended. And if he does get hurt, it's like two games. Ah, whatever. Yeah. Well, Garbett's gone for two lower body suspensions this year in regards to slew footing and uh, knee on knee. And he's missed a total of eight games, I think. So the two guys that he collected were Taylor Hall and um, Dustin Bufflin. So who would you make that trade off for if you were Dallas? You'll take that every day of the week. Okay? Yeah. So, 
there's the second suspension was less than his first suspension. So there's no carryover. There's no, well, you've done two suspendable things inside, it might have been three weeks. Nah, but we'll just give you three games. So they're, they're treating them all in, in isolated incidents, and there's a build-up process here that they're not taking into account to make Garbutt change his actions. So until they and, until they start doing stuff to force a change of behaviour, as you say, players are going to keep taking that risk. Yep. No disagreements. Um, the Penguins, moving on, the Penguins took three out of four points this weekend, which is very good considering all of their injuries. And somebody that played a big role in both of those games, and it's the off-season acquisition I alluded to earlier, um, Blake Como. He scored a goal in each of the last two games. He's done a very nice job of jumping up the depth ranks. Like you had mentioned, we have, or yeah. they have players that kind of are out of their element a little bit, but Como has not looked out of his element playing with Malkin. In fact, he's actually looked pretty good. He's doing... You could tell early when he got the, the call up, put it that way, um, that he was very reliant on his results from Malkin, right? It's not the case anymore. He's got enough self-confidence now that he's making plays on his own. Everything's not everything that results for him isn't coming through Malkin or what Malkin does. So it's been a blessing in disguise. If he can still play with that confidence as the Penguins lineup fills back in and he ends up maybe off Malkin's line, back into probably his third line role that he was slotted for, um, that may help out um, Sutter mm-hmm. um, in regards to getting a, an offensive response from Sutter. So it'll be really, really interesting to see where he ends up. But like you said, 700 grand, um, it's a great signing. But every cup team has guys like that that play above their pay grade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that are able to kind of just move all over the lineup where, where need be because you just never know, especially with Pittsburgh, when the injury bug's going to hit. So having, <laughs> having a, a player that can play diverse roles and do it quite well um, is nice. And, and he's got 10 goals so far this year in 28 games. That is a 29-goal pace for 82 games. His career high was in 2010-11 with the Islanders, and that was 24 goals. So it's this is the thing. So it's doable. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he actually continues to do this, that, and that's the good thing. Um, I do think, you know, a lot of it will have to do with him um, sticking with Malkin. I think um, that's a big part of it. Is it sticking with Malcolm or sticking in a top six role? Because if he goes down to the third and the fourth line, obviously his aims when he jumps down into that role is not to actually score as much. You know what I mean? So his idea is to be a little bit more responsible. Yeah. But he's um, he's shooting 18%. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> his career is 10.1. And the year that he... <coughs> Sorry. At uh, his 24 goals, it was 13.2%, which which isn't, like, an enormous bump off his career mark, like 18 is. Like, he's yeah, not so going to stay at 18, but here's what he can do. Yeah. If he continues to play with um, Malkin, he can find himself in more situations 
that, you know, goal scoring situations because he's playing yeah. with better players. They put you in those situations more often. You'll even if the shooting percentage drops, the frequency of being in those situations will make up for the difference. If that makes any sense. It does. It it does. It does. It's that sheer volume sort of idea thing. Yeah. It, it's more about the process than the end results when you're talking over yeah. the course of a long season. So the process right now has been pretty good and the results have been pretty good. So, um, yeah, he's been for 700,000. That's absolutely the type of, um, contribution they've been lacking the last few years. Um, with some of their bottom six depth, which has been, it was awful last year. Well, you know, they got a, a, um, a game winner goal basically from Klinkhammer, who's bottom six, literally, he's also playing up the chart against Calgary. Um, so the bottom six seems to be contributing um, a lot better already, and this team's nowhere near the depth. So if everyone does filter down, if the Penguins ever get close to a full lineup, this team does look better, um, better equipped to handle um, a cold stretch from Sid or from Gino um, if the playoffs and it turns out that way again. So at least it looks like they might be able to get some help from the depth of the roster that just wasn't there last year. Yep. Um. And that kind of plays into another uh, one of the more interesting players I think on the roster is Brandon Sutter. And in years past, he's kind of been typecasted as a kind of a shutdown third line center. But I don't think that's an accurate description of what his strengths actually are. I don't I don't think he's all that great defensively. I don't think he's like a huge liability by any stretch but I think his strength is actually in his offense and I view him more as a very low-end second center rather than a, a high-end third center um, and I think that shows when he plays with Malkin his skating through the neutral zone is very strong his um, his shot is very good and he's been able to make some offensively gifted plays over the past few months both playoffs and regular season but when you get him away from Malkin, his possession falls off the table. And um, his offense isn't quite good enough to make up for that. So I, I like what the Penguins are doing right now by playing him with, um, well, when Sid's healthy, playing him with Malkin. I yep. think you're getting the most out of what you can with that player, and I think that's a good idea. Do, do you... As the roster fills out again, do you keep him there and play Gok as the third-line centre and Spalding as your fourth line? Because you've advocated Gok for the third-line centre basically since the start of the year, um, well, and even even parts of last year. Um, so where do you think you'd like to, to run with that? Without any further trades? Yeah. I would, I would definitely consider um, doing that. I think it would. Um, I think Gotch is certainly more than capable of playing a bigger role in Pittsburgh. Um, the people that are quick to criticize and, and think that he's nowhere in the ballpark with Brandon Sutter probably haven't watched him outside of Pittsburgh. To be honest, they probably 
they've only seen him play with anchors like Sill and Adams and with a badly injured ankle last year. So, you know, you oh, saw some okay. small sample sizes the other night on the power play. You, you can see that he's more than capable of handling the puck and making plays when he actually has people with him. Yeah. Um, I I do think Sutter has a higher offensive upside, but I think Gotch is better defensively, but not inept offensively. So um, to get the most out of Sutter, I'd, I'd leave him there um, until the Penguins decide to um, finally pull a trigger on one of their top six winger trades, which will eventually happen. Um, Bo Bennett will be back. You could put him back with Sutter, potentially. How long? Well, <laughs> you know, that's always um, that's certainly a valid point. But he's he's really good when he's healthy. It's not often, but oh, yeah. he's he's very yep. good. Uh, Bo Bennett, that is. So, you know, you run the you. One of the things that you and I have always complained about with the Penguins over the last couple of years is a lack of bottom six depth, you know. And then you get here and you're putting up the proposition of, for want of a better way to look at it, um, fitting out the bottom six depth to try and improve the top six strength of scoring. So you're asking you're asking an awful lot of Gok to. We're well, asking a lot of people to trust in the fact that Gok can replace. Sutter without it just being a complete whitewash offensively for the bottom six because that fourth line is not going to give provide anything offensively. In fact, they get stuck in their own. Minutes, but... No, I, I appreciate that, but it, to me, it feels as though God can at least kind of get them out of the zone. They do spend an awful lot of time time in their own zone. I think that just shows plays to how bad Adams and Silla are at even strength. I don't think so I don't think anybody is getting out of the zone with them. I don't think it's a fair like way to evaluate a player when he's playing with those two. I just don't. Yeah, fair enough. No, no, no. That's but fine. those two guys just... shouldn't be on the fourth line anyways when no, the proper depth No, it's going to be a cut thing. Gonna... Those two guys should fall out of the roster as it fills out. I agree. Because Clint Hammers now, you know, he's part of this equation um if clink hammer if clink hammer's on the fourth line it's pretty good when everything's everything's said and done this team should be deep enough to get to the cup finals because a lot of people forget that dupuy was a fourth line Mir- left Meryl wing Chetan as well yeah on that cup team so whilst you get there that they didn't have an awful lot of um statistical offensive numbers, they weren't, I, if I can remember correctly, and you'd have the numbers to back this up, I suppose, they probably weren't caught stuck in their own zone all the time. So, you know, possessionally, they should have helped out. Although Pittsburgh weren't one of the greatest possession teams of the year they won the Cup either, so... They were better after Bilesma, but, yeah, they weren't Detroit. No one was Detroit. No, those two years, <laughs> Detroit was... They were unreal. <laughs> That was the pinnacle of the whole point, really. But, um, yeah. But taking three out of four points on a weekend um, without Sid, that's really good. And it'll keep buying Rutherford time where he's not desperate to make a trade. And they'll be able to find the best value out there as opposed to, um, 
you know, a team like Edmonton where everybody seems <laughs> to know that, you know, you got to make yeah. a move. You have to change something. So everybody's circling them like a bunch of vultures. And, you know, the leverage just isn't there for Craig McTavish like it is for Rutherford right now because the Penguins are the second best team in the entire NHL. They can be like, fine, you know what? You don't want to play ball? Uh, we'll just sit on it right now. We're we're doing just fine. Yeah, I mean that's the the, the longer the Penguins can, the longer the Penguins can take well, three out of four, it'd be absolutely awesome. I don't think they'll keep up that rate if this roster stays like this for another couple of weeks. But if they can keep playing the way they are and at least get eight points, so at least get the games to OT, Rutherford's got all the time in the world. It's it's great. It, the the team's helping the general manager make the team better by not having to rush a deal. So, um, kudos to all involved, really. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of move they swing when they eventually. Well, the make hard, it. the hard thing for them though is that the area of strength that they've got is starting to go down with some injuries in regards to where you would want Pittsburgh to trade from in regards to assets, which is their back end. I mean, Ollie Marta's going for a secondary opinion on his shoulder. Um, Bortuzzo got hurt in the game um, against Columbus as well, I believe. Um, Latang's just come back from a groin injury. So you get there and you can run the risk sometimes of, of, of being a team that has a strength volume-wise in regards to assets to trade a couple away and the next minute you, you end up uh, with injuries in your roster and you, you're short. I mean, look what happened to Boston. I mean, that absolutely destroyed them in regards to being forced to get rid of Johnny Boychuk and then Chara went down with an injury. Um, so that really thinned them out. And they really struggled because of that. So, you know, injuries can play a really big factor in, in where you end up in regards to the standings, but you've also got to try and improve areas where you're deficient. So it will be interesting to see the timing. Yeah, and the the modest stuff, uh, you know, I'm not terrifically optimistic about it. So no, he could be toast. He could be toast for the year. Yeah, potentially. So um, the nice thing is that is a organizational strength. Uh, Penguins still have Latang, Martin, Erhoff. That's pretty great. Three. Um, Dupre's playing pretty good. And they just yes. called up Scott Harrington. You still have Brian Dumoulin, uh, so you've got you've got good talent. Derek Pouliot is playing awesome down in Wilkes-Barre. So, so the big the big question for the Penguins with we'll make the assumption that Marta's out for the year, right? So, like you said, they've got the a really good big three, and then they've got the spray. Do you then? get there, and my mental perception is I'd be really happy with the Harrington and Dumoulin bottom two, right? So that would assume that Bortuzzo and Scuderi aren't playing on that playoff roster. Not to say they'll get moved, but to say they're the extras. Um, would you be comfortable with having the two young guys as your bottom two pairing for the playoffs or not? That's the that's the challenge the Penguins have got to try and work out. Yeah, I don't care how old they are. Can they play is the only thing I'm concerned with. Um and I think they could certainly, they certainly have the potential to uh, outplay those other two, in my opinion. Will they get the opportunity? Uh, I'm not. I don't. I, I don't, don't think Skidari's so. bumping out. He he'll be the number six guy the whole year. 
And that sucks for whoever is that number six guy, uh, number five guy. Yeah, it's been Dupree so far. Yeah, and he's actually gotten better at adjusting to having to cover Scuderi's ass. I don't care how good he looks on the five-on-three power, uh, penalty kill and all those sorts of things. Um, what he does five-on-five five is devastating. I, I would rather have someone else play that, that lone role in front of the net. Um, and he did a really good job of it in the, in the five-on-threes and the, the four-on-threes um, against Columbus. I, I give him credit where credit's due there, but someone else can fill that role. I, I agree. I'm, I'm one of the belief that if you can play solid at even strength, you're more than capable of doing a good job on the penalty kill. So, yeah, no need to have a quote-unquote specialist in that area. What What do you say if you're a specialist in something that means you're terrible five on five? Sometimes, because you get into Mark Andre Bergeron power play specialist, Rob Scuderi, Craig Adams penalty kill specialist, um, and then you don't hear anybody calling Jonathan Taves a, a specialist on the penalty kill. No, that's exactly no, right. he's just a great player. Yeah. So sorry. it's just a polite way of, you know, covering up the fact that it, they're not well-rounded. That's polite of the new saying, you just suck at five on five. Oh, I heard you say that before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of defensemen, though, Chris Letang. Yeah, he's, two, um, two games. he's been great. Mike Johnston coming aboard has been so good for him. Um, it allows him to maximize his terrific skill set that he has, where Bilesma's system, everything was north, north, north. Uh, the options were far away. Um, and a guy like Letang wants to make controlled, nice plays. But they really weren't available all the time for him. And with Johnston, you have all these nice outlets that are 15, 10, 15 feet away at all times which also gives him the ability to fake a pass over to free him up to skate more. Whereas before they well, could I just think... forecheck him hard and know that he'll just be uh, firing it up for that stretch tip play that the Penguins used yeah. to love. Um, what, one thing that is, that is really noticeable though as well is that he'll give that you know, 10 to 12 foot pass to the half boards um, and then he'll fly out of the zone. He'll just skate, knowing full well, well, he's got the confidence in his teammates that they'll get it out of the zone. And he's often that third that third option to create a three-on-two or, or a four-on-three um, as they come up the zone. He, he has so much confidence in his own skating ability to actually get back when he's technically out of position on a pinch that, you know, it's going to burn him. We all know that. But the positives outweigh the negatives so high that it's worth the risk. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his puck management decisions that were so bad and noticeable against the Islanders and in some of those other games was the fact he was trying to do too much because there just wasn't anything there. The system didn't, like I said, did not play to his strengths. And as a player, you're naturally always going to try to lean towards your strengths even if the coaches are telling you to do something else. That's that's what got you where you are. So, 
now he can lean on his strengths and the the options are there and he's just fun to watch you you got that shorthanded goal against Columbus that I can't think of five other defensemen that have the hands and ability to, to make that kind of move in tight to, to score no, goal. yeah he undressed Bobrovsky, and Bob's in pretty good form at the moment since coming back. He tied the game with about 10 seconds left on just a terrific shot. Um, he's always had a great shot. Um, my apprehension or criticism of his uh, shot's always been, one, he doesn't know when to to use it. He's He usually hesitates a little bit, especially on the power play. And there's been some accuracy issues. Not the one I mean, last night, tried, though. That was a terrific shot. He, he didn't try to absolutely shoot it at 200 miles an hour, though, either. He made sure he got it on net. And maybe that's something he just has to take into account on the power play and when he shoots. Getting it on net is more important sometimes than just firing at, you know, 400 miles an hour. So he needs to, um, he needs to take that into consideration. And hopefully the results he got getting the Penguins to OT – is enough of an example for you. Oh, you know what? That might work. But that shot last night was about 200 miles an hour. That thing zipped. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't wind up like he didn't reach to the roof either, though. Nope, you're right. And then uh, the shootout goal, just terrific, <laughs> clever. He's he's always had those nice shootout moves. So that was actually a nice shootout to watch. There was some nice moves involved. In all of that from both teams. Actually, I. I do have something I want to add about that shootout last night in Columbus. Um, Thomas Grace, I, I'm on record. I, I think he's a very good goalie. I think he's terrific value, and, you know, I, I argued that maybe the Penguins could move forward with him as the number one guy. Uh, oh, we know that. He's currently the number two guy in the NHL, and even strength save percentage, pretty good. But as we saw with the penalty shot and the shootout, breakaways aren't quite his thing i'm no. of you know I, you don't ever really see this but mark andre Fleury is the all-time leader in shootout save percentage i'm almost thinking maybe like a relief pitcher you get him up stretching kind of halfway through the overtime period and throw him out there for the shootout yeah i don't know my only concern is that he wouldn't be warm and wouldn't have a feel for the speed of the game. I know shootouts are different, but and I'm a Mark Andre fan, you know that. And yes, everything he said is right about his ability in the shootout, but I just don't know. Well, you get him up stretching. It's something to think about. I mean, it oh, is a terrific strength yeah. of his. Uh, a lot of his game is kind of up and down, but that's one part that's always up. And if you're going to sign him and you're going to have him on the team, I'd, I'd kind of look into utilizing him in those situations, even on night six you know that playing. I, if I was the Penguins, you know when I would legitimately seriously think about having to do it that way is if they suddenly fell apart in regards to actually acquiring points and they get to that situation where you have to have that second point. Yeah, that's at the moment, too. At the moment, it's not... It's not killing them. Just getting the extra point at the moment, uh, getting a point at the moment in that game um, was a bonus. I would have been happy to come away from the the back to backs um, two out of four, but to get that third and Could have been you can argue point. that I, 
Yeah, getting a fourth would have been a bonus, don't get me wrong, but I reckon getting the third was a bonus. So um, Grice did enough for me in that game to get the extra, to get the bonus, to get the uh, extra point um, would have been brilliant. It would have exceeded expectations for, for the weekend with the way that roster looks. So I, can, I get your argument. I just don't think there's a need at the moment because they're not, they're not desperate for points. Nope, that's that. That's a great point you make. I was just throwing it out there, something outside the box, maybe, you know, play to the strengths, kind of like how I wanted oh. Sutter to get a little help with yep. Malkin. Why not uh, let Flurry show off why he's known as one of the most exciting uh, athletic goalies? Um, oh, your points are valid. I just, uh, I think for me, the risk is higher than the reward at the moment. Fair enough. But both yeah. guys so have played great this year, I think. Yeah. Um, the Penguins should have no complaints about their goaltending right now. They have two guys that have played really well. Um, you know, my my criticisms weren't of um, Flurry, super specific, more so just his value. But that's lost on a lot of people. Well, the other thing that you've made a very good point of is I can't do anything about it now. He's been signed, so they're going with him, yeah, whether it's a good idea or not. So it is what it is. Yeah, and so far he's he's played great. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if he can keep this up, not just for, for this season and for the, the playoffs, but you know beyond for the next couple of years. And you can get there and go, you know, there's been so many supporters of Fleury, and I'm one of them that has always sort of said that the system that the – Penguins played in front of him was the cause of him not being particularly fantastic in that. No, that's that's been proven false by multiple. No, no, no. But it's been proven false by numbers. What if it's a mental thing? What if Fleury does just play better in this new system because he feels more comfortable in it, even though statistically... Because I've seen the numbers. They all prove otherwise. I fully appreciate that. It doesn't matter. It's like the placebo effect. Yeah, maybe so. If he... If he thinks that, who cares whether the numbers suggest otherwise? If he feels that, because like, he's looked much calmer, he's nowhere near as calm as. Uh, and I rephrase that, he's nowhere near as economical in his movement in net as Grice is, but he's looked a lot steadier him, than he had. Much better. Yeah, he's looked a, a, a lot less fidgety um, around his net, um, so. If the goaltending coach has managed to help him settle down in that aspect as well, everything seems to be coming together for him this year, um, which is great for him and great for the Penguins. You know, you don't want him to fail. You just think there's better value out there than what he's been delivering. So, and you've got no argument in, you know, for one of a good way to put it, being proven wrong. It's not like you want him to fail. No, I don't root for anybody to. No, exactly. I just look at the stuff, try to make predictions based on the numbers I have in the future because, you know, anybody yeah. can do this stuff in hindsight. It's trying to get ahead of it and predict where things are going. Um, but so far, when, so good. When, when Blake Como was signed, going through, did you go through his his possession numbers and that when he was signed to have a look at what you were expecting from him? They were okay. All right, okay, so this isn't totally out of the blue for you. Um, the 10 goals a little bit, but I also didn't yep. really expect him to be playing in a top six role. 
Doc, of course not. I don't think anyone was. But even before he got that promotion, he was playing good bottom six hockey for them. And at the very least, an improvement over the bottom six hockey from last year. I think that was the thing that was most exciting. The first, what was it, 12 games before some people started to go down with injuries was the team actually looked pretty close to complete. And most Penguins fans were going, you know, you know what, one trade for a top six forward and this team's great to go. Um, but obviously with Dupuy going down now, it might require two trades for the top six and then have that filter down effect. So it's it's pretty close. It'll be interesting to see whatever moves are made, if they work. Because sometimes trades can backfire. They don't always work like the Hornquist-Neil trade. They don't always turn out good for both sides. So well, there was actually that trade today, I thought, was a, um, a Jeremy Morin. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, that, you know, kind of fit the bill for the kind of player maybe the Penguins would look at, something that wouldn't break the bank. But, you know, finding a guy in a situation that was – you know, shoved way down the depth chart. Well, it's a bit like uh, Samuelson that got shifted for Klinkhammer. There was no way he was going to crack the NHL lineup in the Penguins' current setup. And Morin had proven that he he's a good candidate to be at, at least a you know uh, a possible top six scoring candidate. So it's a great move in in that sense. And Erickson had been struggling to crack the lineup, and you know. The Blackhawks need some help for that bottom two pairing. Yeah, especially after losing Letty. Yeah. And Letty was a money choice, and, you know, Eric yeah, Erickson tough. does not make a lot of money, so now they get a, a guy who's played well for Columbus this year, and, you know, they weren't going to use uh, more in any way, so they got a little bit something back. Uh, I, I just think Pittsburgh could have probably, um, well, I'm not in their boardroom, so I, I don't know if they even discussed it or not. Who knows? They could have been asleep at the wheel. It does happen. Teams can get in early. Yeah. I don't think they were asleep at the wheel, but, you know, we'll we'll see where, where they go. But they keep winning. We might have to wait a little longer. Yeah, and as, as you and I said, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with that, with that weight. So, you know, I mean, I'm the Metropolitans no. surprised me a little bit in regards to you and I at the start of the year both didn't think that Pittsburgh were going to be leading the division. Um, the Islanders still intrigue me a little bit, though. I'm not sure where they sit with it, and I actually have a feeling that it may be their coach that might be their problem in regards to doing well, having a read around in regards to a few forums and stuff like that, which can be a risky business at times. Um, a lot of people are complaining about line combinations, which is something that, you know, as a Penguins fan, we're very familiar with in regards to not being happy with what the coach is actually putting together on the ice. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the with the Islanders. Hopefully they can keep it, keep it together. It's the last year at Nassau, so it would be nice for them to make the playoffs. Oh, they're making the playoffs. I don't, I don't have any concerns about that. You think they'll miss? Um, I don't trust them until they're in. They're a top five possession team. They got good goaltending and they got guys that can score. So I really, I, don't, I have no reservations with them. 
Yeah, no, no, and and that's fine. I, it's just one of those things where you know dodgy things have happened to that organisation that are that are, you sort of get there and go, well, that sort of sucks. And, and that's weird coming from a Penguins fan after that '93 team. So I probably should shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I don't like that that series much. <laughs> yeah. That was such a special year for Mario coming back from cancer I, and, and the potential of a Lemieux-Gretzky final and there's just so much yep. that went down the drain with that stupid overtime goal. You get there and you think about it, it and you just... Uh, and Lemieux a... versus Waugh in the conference final. Yeah. But if you get there and you go if, buts and maybes and you do go, you know, the two greatest generational forwards of the time playing against each other, what that might have done for the the league's reach through, you know, the... Two greatest players, period, ever. Yeah, but to get it in regard, it just would have been great marketing for the NHL. It could have been a whole lot, it could have been a whole lot higher cap. So the Islanders have a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else? Did we miss anything? No, uh, I think... I think we've covered everything off. I mean, we tried to do this two days ago yesterday, and it, it failed dismally. <laughs> yeah, Skype updates screwed our recording uh, software that didn't didn't record poor Walshy. I was I was MIA apparently. Gunnar was talking to himself. It was a good podcast, though. I promise. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think I think we're good. There's there's nothing else we need to cover off, is there? No, we'll, um, you know, there'll be, there'll be other things this upcoming week and, uh, we'll talk all about them, uh, for the next podcast. So I guess, yeah, we'll um, do it. until then I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. <laughs>